Amen, amen. So, hey, welcome. We're here. I feel like the room's a little sleepy. I'm like, do we need to like get up and like run around the block or something? We don't. I, but I'm excited. I want you to be excited. Uh, we are in this sermon series called The Invitation to Wholeness that Pastor Raul led us off with so well last week. Uh, and this is kind of our first, uh, our first principle today, identity. You're invited to identity in Christ. This is our first starting point. Last week was meant to be an introduction that you are invited to have an identity, not in who the world says you are, but in who Christ says you are. And that in much the same way that our church has meant to get clarity this last year on a theology of racial reconciliation, you'll be hearing more about that in the summer and into the fall. We want to have clarity on how you can come alive here, how God can grow in your hearts through faith, how you can experience some of how that text says there is glory and there is power for God's people. And for us to take that journey is the invitation to wholeness. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about different aspects of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? The first thing that we're going to start with today is identity, that we know who we are, that we know whose we are, that we start with this uh, beginning point that our identity is who God has made us to be. The Bible says we are made in God's image, and from that starting place, we, we can live in the world in such a way that our lives would flow with meaning and purpose. That's going to impact our mission, our formation, our relationships. Next week, we're going to be talking about relationships. All of that will come next, but our starting point matters so much. So we start today from this, this kind of beginning point. You are made in God's image, and you are deeply loved. If I could say one thing to you today, I'd want to say that over and over again. You are made in God's image, and you are deeply loved. I would love to bring you, just like Anna got to do with each of those two babies, I'd like to bring you on stage, and I would just kind of lift you up to the church, like, look at, look at them. Aren't they great, you know? Uh, some of you would be easier to lift than others, but you know the point. Like, uh, this, is, this is the essence of who God made us to be. This is the North Star for the people of God, that we are made in God's image to reflect God's glory. And if we live from that place, then we can live lives that are seeking to represent God's image in us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we're on a journey of following God because who he made us to be, and that we would be uh, we would be just growing in an understanding from that place of my identity in Christ. This will impact the way I live into the world. How we start a journey has such a significant impact for where we're going and how we get there. I don't know if you've ever taken a journey where you just started in the wrong place or you thought you were one place and not another. I have a lot of stories like that, but I'll tell you a specific story from when I was younger in college, uh, some friends and I were just still getting to know each other and we decided to take an adventure together. Uh, We found out that our university had a canoe to rent, so we wanted to rent the canoe and have an epic adventure on a river. We went to REI. They said, you need to go to the Pack River in Idaho. It's an incredible river for novices like yourself. It's safe, there's no rapids, it'd be great. We thought we were heading to the Pack River in Idaho. Shortly before departing on said adventure, our guide, my buddy Alan, uh, he said, well, you know, I couldn't find the Pack River on the map, 
but I found a different river. It's the Yak River in western Montana. So we were heading for the pack in Idaho, so we thought. But no, 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 we ended up going to the Yak River in Montana. And this makes all the difference in the world because the Pack River, pretty mellow, pretty easy, pretty, uh, pretty slow going. Yak River, not so much. We drove through the night. We set up camp. We woke up in the middle of the night. We're like, what is that thundering sound? That thundering sound was the mighty Yak River in western Montana. It was something. The next day, we set into a boulder garden. What's a boulder garden, the, the guidebook said. We soon found out. Our raft popped, canoe tipped, much of our gear went downstream. We lived to tell about it, but just barely. Over the next two days, we did foolishly try to keep the adventure going, and we would go two at a time in the canoe, and then the other guys would take a boat like to the following bridge, and we had multiple crashes and tips. At one point, I was pinned against a log and a canoe, and I was thinking, this might be the end of my young life. We survived. And relationships started in that adventure that we were never the, the same for. Like, something about adversity can really forge you. But what a reality that if we start from the wrong vantage point, the wrong perspective, the wrong identity, then all the places we'll get to, we could have great adventures, but we're never going to arrive at a place of fullness, a place of wholeness, a place where we can feel the embodiment of what it is to pursue Christ and know Christ's mark of love and peace and joy and grace in our lives. And so many of us in our world, we've started with the wrong starting point. We've started with the wrong headwaters. We've started with the wrong identity, something that the world has given to us, some place of failure or brokenness that maybe someone else has labeled it. And if we can't get back to that starting point that we are made in God's image, then the downstream impact is going to have huge impacts into our relationships, into the way we spend our time and our money and what we pursue. All of the downstream impact must have a renewed starting point. I am made in God's image. And because I'm made in God's image, and because there is glory and power available to me in who God says I am, that that's the identity that I want to be anchored in. So what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he said there is a truth to be rooted in and grounded in. There is a true north. There is a starting point. And if you can start from this perspective that you are deeply loved and made in God's image, then you can take an incredible journey. That's where we're going today. Starting from the correct vantage point that we are made in God's image that our identity is in who God says we are. Not our gender, not our sexuality, not our outfit that we're wearing, not our careers, not the number of children we have or the losses we've borne. All those things matter a great deal, but the starting point is God's people, is in who God says we are. So today we're going to look at this little piece from Ephesians 3 and look at what it means to be praying with this perspective of power as God's people. And then the encouragement to be rooted in God's love, not in the world's identity, but rooted in God's love. And then what Paul says, there are gifts of glory and power, the gifts of glory that await for us as God's people as we live out this identity of being Christ. So 
let me unpack here Ephesians 3. The first thing I want to say to you is that what Paul says, when we pray from a perspective of power, that we're able to live out from God's new identity for us, that we live with a perspective of who God says we are. In verses 14, 15, 16 of Ephesians 3, I'll read it to you. Paul says, this is the reason I kneel in the presence of the Father from whom all the family in heaven and on earth receive its name. I'm asking God to give you a gift, a gift of identity that comes from the wealth of his glory, Paul says. I pray that he would give you an inner strength and power through what? Through his spirit. So Paul has written this high prayer in Ephesians 3, not as a naive hope that everything would always be easy, but he's saying there is a place of power for those of you that start with a, a position of proximate uh, relationship to who God says you are. He says, if you are near to God, if you can kneel in his presence, you're going to have a closer understanding to who he's made you to be your identity. And just before this, in verse 12, Paul says that in God and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. That all of life, we're meant to be approaching God. We're on a journey of approach. And that there's freedom and there's confidence freedom and confidence, that these would be marking us as we're trying to pursue more of God's identity for us. It's an invitation from freedom and from confidence, not self-condemnation, not shame, not even brokenness. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but there's a freedom and a confidence. That's what we approach God, that we are who God has made us to be. And because of that, there's a freedom and a confidence to continue to approach God. And that's what we're going to be building out over this series, that there's a, we call it the discipleship pathway or an invitation to wholeness, but there is this perspective of because we have freedom and confidence that we continue to approach God. We are made in his image, which means there's a full gift set of glory and power that's available to us, but We have to continue to move towards him to be reminded of that identity. The world is constantly trying to wash us away to continue the the water imagery. But in Christ, we're meant to continually pursue him to be reminded that our identity is in who he has made us to be. And that's praying from that position is is a reminder. God, help me in prayer be close to you. Sometimes I put my hand on my heart. I meditate. I say, God, remind me, not of the fears of this world, remind me who you have made me to be. That's what prayer is. Prayer isn't just asking God, like, hey, here's the grocery list. Can you do these things? God cares about those things. But ultimately, prayer is a place for us to approach the throne of God that we would be reminded of our identity. And that when we pray like that, Paul says that is a that is a prayer for power because you're praying from, from this proximate place. You're praying in nearness. I was deeply convicted and encouraged over a spiritual retreat over this winter. I took a couple days in a silent retreat and, and was just reflecting that with all of the external things I'm trying to do in the world, my inner life of prayer has to be greater than my outer focuses and my outer pursuits. We've got to have inner lives of prayer to sustain our outer obligations. I'm thinking of Mother's Day, like for moms who are constantly pouring out into the lives of people around them. Christ wants to encourage you to draw near with that freedom and confidence so that you would have a fullness to you in order to pour into the world. We're constantly trying to 
seek others' approval and serve others, which is great. But what God is inviting us to is this, hey, would you be reminded of who you are, but who I've made you to be? That's what prayer is. God, I want to spend time with you. Would you remind me of my identity is in you? And when we fall away from that, a lot of times we can move into places of either shame or maybe sometimes pride, but there's this, there's this razor edge where we continually approach God with freedom and confidence to be reminded of who he's made us to be. And I don't know about you, but when you're with people that really know their identity in Christ, there's a lightness to them, isn't there? There's a brightness. Their eyes shine a little bit. It's like they live out that fruit of the Spirit. May we be a church of people that have that brightness in our eyes because we're reminded of who God has made us to be. Christ, help me see who you've made me to be and help me see my place in your story. Now, we're made in God's identity. We're praying from that posture of power. But ultimately, then, we're on a spiritual journey where we're asking God to reveal places of our story that are inconsistent with our identity. Because it's not just like, oh, God's made us in your image, and so everything we do is always good. That's not actually how I live this out at all. I actually often need God to remind me of places where I'm not living into his identity. And so people that are really aware of their identity in Christ, they can take that journey of self-awareness to say, God, make me more of who you've made me to be. Knowing our identity in Christ, it's not this get out of jail free card, like, well, I tried. No, no. It's, would we take that journey because who God has made us, that we would be living out of that fullness and moving more and more into a person pursuing God's glory and his justice and his habits and godly relationships. All of those things are weeks three, four, five, six, and seven that downstream, because of the starting place and identity, I want to have changed relationships. I want to have changed habits. I want to have changed acts of mercy. I, I need God to change all that. But I start, not from shame, not from denial, but saying, God, would you make me more of who you've made me to be? And that that's an incredible thing that happens through the Scripture's work on us as the Spirit comes alive in us. There's this incredible story about a man named Jacob and how he learns to move towards more wholeness into an identity and who God has made him to be. And if you're a Bible person all, you know that Jacob was often nicknamed the deceiver. He stole his older brother birthright and he was constantly living a life of being on the run because he wasn't sure. He was like constantly kind of manipulating the situations and kind of putting his own transformation last. But God had other plans for Jacob. God has other plans for us. He loves us too much to leave us in in aspects of sin and brokenness. So he says, I have fully loved you. I've given you glory and I've given you power and I want you to move into that new freedom. So in the book of Genesis, in chapter 32, this story of how Jacob moves from a place of identity into new wholeness, this is uh, Genesis 32, verse 23, that Jacob, uh, he sends his family uh, across a stream and his possessions. Jacob knows he's got to face his brother, the brother he stole his birthright, the brother he's, he's run away from his whole life. And so he sends all of his cattle and all of his possessions and then his wives, because in these days, polygamy was 
okay. And he puts his least favorite wife first. And so he's like prioritizing the things that are most important to him. He holds back to the least. So he's like, if I'm going to lose things, I want to lose the least important things. And then where is Jacob? He puts himself last across the stream. He's so scared of facing his own transformation. But that night, God has, God has business for his heart. Jacob was alone and an angel shows up and Jacob and the man wrestled till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, the angel touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And then the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome so Jacob has, his hip has been distorted. He's dealing with this injury and he's wrestled with an angel, but something's changed in the wrestling. He, he has this new identity, which isn't like, all right, well, I'm going to be in the back of the line. He he's, goes from running from pain to engaging his story. And this incredible thing happens in the next chapter of Genesis 33. He's finally living, not from a place of shame, not from a place of brokenness, not from a place of blaming others, not from a place of escape. He deals with what God wants to do in him to face the brother that he knows that God's got something for me. And this happens in, you know, again, all the servants are all lined up, least favorite wife, but this incredible thing happens in the next chapter of Genesis where it says the next morning, Jacob limping, but in this new identity, he limps to the front of the line to face his brother. And God does amazing things when we deal with our limp. When we deal with those things that are imperfect, we deal with some of the things that we've been carrying and shame in our past and hurt. See, God gives us a new identity not to make us scot-free and just blaming the world. He gives us an identity and he gives us a bit of a limp to say, let me face the things in this world that I need to deal with in order that I can live out from this new identity. Every one of us in this room, we have a limp. We have a hurt. We have a pain. God wants to change that in order that we would be living from this new identity, this new wholeness, this, like, God has made me. We don't, again, we don't sit back and blame the world. We are encouraged to be truth-tellers, living with a limp, saying, God, help me face my world with confidence and glory and power, that my relationships, that my children, that my friendship, that my church, that my habits, that it would reflect you, God, not myself. You know, the incredible thing about this piece of scripture from Ephesians is that this wasn't the last time God would talk to the church in Ephesus. It's the church in Ephesians, like Paul would spend a couple years of his life with them and, and they would be doing all this ministry. But when we last see the church in Ephesus, they get a warning that their religion and their faith, they had lost their identity as God's beloved. They had lost their heart. And I've been loving this image of the sacred heart of Christ that's this powerful metaphor and image that the church used for hundreds of years is the burning heart of Christ. I think we have that image where it's the heart of Jesus surrounded by the crown of thorns and the cross and the flames of the Holy Spirit. And the early church, they just went to this image because they're like, as soon as we forget our identity in Christ, as soon as we forget that first love, we've lost everything. 
And that's taken from Revelation 2. The church in Ephesus that I've just read you these scriptures, it's like, you've got this identity, stay rooted in this love. In Revelation, God says to that same church, you did deeds of religion, you fought the good fight, you contended, you even called out wickedness, you did all of this, but you lost your heart. You have forgotten your first love, Revelation 2.4 says. And this way, when we lose our heart, we lose our life. God is calling us back as a people. Remain anchored in this identity and pray from this place of proximate power. And, and then you'll have some downstream implications of change that'll happen, but you'll have the correct starting point. So that's the first thing I want to talk to you about. We, we're praying from a place of proximate power. The second thing is we got to be rooted in love. Rooted in love. Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19. If you brought your Bible, circle it, underline it, highlight it. Just say, God, help me not forget this. Verse 17 through 19 of Ephesians 3. Christ will live in you through faith. And I pray that love may be the ground in which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. This way, with all of God's people, you'll be able to understand how wide and long and high and deep God's love is. You will know Christ's love, which goes far and beyond any knowledge. I'm praying this so that you may be completely filled with God, that we would be full to the very fullness. I would like to preach an entire series about these three verses, and I have just a few minutes. But this is the rootedness from our place of identity that changes our lives. Because what Paul is encouraging these people in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but this morning to us, the people in Shoreline and Mukilteo and Edmonds and wherever you're joining us from online, that this is the work of being anchored in identity in Christ. That we'd be rooted in the love of God, which is greater than anything we can think up with our head, but our hearts can be engaged, that we would know how wide and deep and long and true is God's love, rooted in love, like tree roots. It's gardening season. I'm sure so many of you are like, oh, I went to put it in a yard and I found a root and you start to like trim it back and hack at it and it goes and goes. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's like the roots, they keep going. Like that's what Paul's saying, like have roots like this. Be, be, be allowing your identity to be rooted in God's love, which will just grow out from underneath you and create a foundation. And in every storm, in every shaking, in every COVID, in every you know, thing that comes our way, that we would have the rootedness. And the thing with tree roots that's remarkable is we learn more and more on the botany side of the biological world is the interconnectedness of root systems. There are communities of roots that literally talk to each other and exist together. So our individual health is tied into the health of God's people. This is our identity rooted in this. And we have an image, we have a resource. This is on our website. You could just Google BCC Identity Truths. I just want to highlight a few, but I would love you to Google this and put this on your desktop or on your phone or print this out. Maybe do this with devotions this morning. That you are beloved. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31. That you are set apart. You are a chosen race, a priesthood, a holy nation. This, this is what the story of the Bible is. This is what you would be rooted in. You are a sweet aroma, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. God's not fed up with you. God's not disappointed with you. God is your heavenly Father. He loves you with an everlasting love. 
And if we can get rooted here, church, if this is what we would start our days with, if this is what we would pray over in the evening, that we've been forgiven, that we're never alone, that we are free, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's freedom there. There is hope there. There's truth there. There is goodness there. We've got to get back to who God has made us to be, that this is our identity. This is the freedom. This is the purpose. This is the truth for us to root our lives on. And I know there are a million voices contending for your affection and attention. And many of you are just busy pouring out constantly into the lives of others. We've got to take this journey back to our identity being rooted in Christ, who he's made us to be, fearfully and wonderfully made, to be full of his image. In archaeology worlds, there's a thing called a tell. And a tell is an ancient archaeological site when ancient societies would often burn an old society or group of buildings and build upon those ashes. In the ancient world, they understood that a, a, a certain geography was where they wanted to be rooted because of its proximate to the sun or to water or to life. And so a tell is where archaeologists say there are layers and sediments where generation after generation lived. And so the work of the archaeologists is to unearth the tell. I've seen this in native sites in British Columbia. I had this experience traveling in Central America in a Mayan city named Tikal. And there's these huge fortresses carved out of the jungles and you could climb on them and it's incredible. But the guide said all of this was almost lost to the jungle. See, there is a force in the jungle that is constantly trying to overcome and kind of bury under layers of sediment. But, you know, for hundreds of years, they excavated to call to be a place of great strength and beauty. In the same way, we are meant to be Christ people excavating the tells of our life, excavating what other people and other experiences is trying to cover up from the very glory of God within us. And if we can live out from that, of just digging out and saying, God, remind me who you've made me to be. I want to live with that kind of freedom, confidence, power, and glory. And that's where I want to end, that there are gifts of glory, Paul says in Ephesians 3, for any who seek to live out of this new identity. Look at verse 20 and 21 of Ephesians 3. Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. By this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory belongs to God in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and eternity. The glory belongs to God and it lives in us. And that glory, doxa, is meant to bring power, dunamis. The Greek word for power is dunamis, a power beyond anything you can ask or imagine. And that we would know glory, the doxa, the same glory that was the very representation of God to the people of Israel, that we would know it in us, who he's made you to be, that you would live out from who he has created you as your identity, as your truth. And I recognize it's really hard to remember sometimes that there is glory and power for God's people that lives in us. One of my great joys as a father has been, sometimes with my wife, um, to be a coach, a youth soccer coach, youth basketball coach. We've gotten to do it with all four of our kids. We're in a very sentimental season as our oldest is getting ready to graduate from high school. 
But there's something that happens for us around coaching where we get to tell these little kids not just how to kick a ball, but who they are in this world. And we do a thing called gold starring, where at the end of the game, we put the boys or the girls, whoever we're coaching, in a circle, and they get to tell each other around the circle what they saw that was great, where they saw something amazing happening on the soccer field. And there's a, there's a new attender here over the last year, and I ran into him this summer. He said, Scott, you know, my son played on your team. It was like five, six, seven years ago. We still tell stories of what happened around that circle. You weren't just teaching them a sport. You're teaching them about their lives. I took all the pastors from Bethany, the preaching pastors, away this week, and guess what I did with them? I put them in a circle, and I said, we're going to do gold starring you're going to share what's great in the people you work with. I think we have an image here on like one of the last, like, this is Sky was really little, but there's something about that trophy. This is just after the sharing circle. The youngest, who felt like the beloved one. And church, this is the moment for you as a church to lean into who God has made you to be. If you can imagine yourself sitting in a circle of Loved ones speaking God's truth over you, excavating the, the layers of your life to discover your identity as in who whose God has made you to be, to be receiving maybe even like that imagery of like a trophy. I am made in God's image, and I am good, and I am loved, and that's going to impact my relationships and all the downstream impacts, but the starting place has never been more important. We've got to get back to the starting point. You are love, and you are good, and you are chosen by God to reflect his glory and inhabit his power. May that be our journey over this season, coming alive by God's power and who he made you to be, fully loved. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for a moment to reflect on our identity, being people of you. God, we just ask on this special day that you'd be reminding your people that they are beloved, that they were created on purpose, that their life has a meaning and a resonance. God, give us the courage to continue to unearth who we really are. Beneath all of the pain and difficulties we face for the last couple of years, there is glory and there is power available through you, God, in us. May it be so, Jesus. May it be so. May we be discovering more of your great love in us and that that would mark us as a church in the season ahead. And all God's people said, amen. When you came in today, you got one of these response cards. And we're going to do this on the whole series. I would love for you to just consider here, we're going to move into worship in just a moment, but the question to consider is, how will you receive this identity in Christ in the week ahead? How will you receive this identity in Christ? And you can actually just write that, the question to consider, how will I receive this identity in Christ? And then the next step, what's the next step for you? Is it going to be printing out that identity truth and reading it every day? Is it going to be praying from a position of 
approximation to your father to be just reminded that there is power available to Christ? Is it going to be excavating layers of your life to remember who God says you are? Is it to imagine yourself in a circle of gold starring people being reminding you that you were made with incredible value? There are people in this church right now that just need to be reminded that they are made in God's image. What's your next step? I want you to not get into your car and drive home before you've written this question down. How will I live this identity truth out? And then how will I respond? Every one of us has a next step to take in the week ahead. Because if we don't start from this landing spot of identity in Christ, we're going to have all sorts of downstream issues. We've got to get back to the correct starting place. We've got to get back. We've got to get back. We've got to get back. Who God has made you to be. I want you to write that question. I want you to write the next step. And then when the time's right, we're going to go into song. Let's have a time of response right now.